good morning. I'm so thankful that you're here. Happy Father's Day to all you dads. And uh, I was grateful to get, um, two of my kids are gone, but they texted me this morning. I was grateful to hear from them. But um, I'll tell you, I, what an amazing couple of weeks it's been in the life of our church. Uh, our middle school kids just got back from Falls Creek. We took almost like 190-something middle school kids uh, to Falls Creek and had 12 kids saved and and uh, just, it's been awesome. Yeah, it's great. Um, you know, uh, this coming week, uh, we're taking high school kids tomorrow to, high, to Falls Creek. And uh, so please pray for God to speak at, at Falls Creek to our high school kids. And, and uh, pray for our youth pastors and leaders because two week, three weeks of camp, they've had super summer, then uh, middle school camp, then high school camp. It's just a packed time. And, and, uh, and then, uh, so pray for high school camp, that God just moves in our students' lives. Camp is such an important experience and moment, and, and I just love it that we go to camp. Uh, ne- next week, if you've not been baptized... Uh, next Sunday, we're having our, our baptism event, and you can sign up in the foyer. If that's a step of obedience that you've not taken, I want to invite you to consider that, uh, that mark of, of, of your faith, um, that mark of saying to the world, look, Jesus is my Savior, and that's, that's next Sunday. So you can sign up in the foyer, and we really want to encourage you to take advantage of that. Um, also, I, I'm just glad to be home. I'm still a little foggy today. This would be a great day to come because I'm still on jet lag. Uh, we got back from Israel on Thursday night, and, uh, and, I, and I'll tell you what an amazing experience to be in the Holy Land. Uh, we walked around where Jesus walked. It was the craziest thing. Uh, we stood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, we, we saw what we believe, what they believe is the, is the garden tomb, the place of the skull that we've read about, and we were standing there going, oh my goodness, and we walked into a tomb that, that might have been Joseph of Arimathea's tomb where Jesus was, was placed, and, and we stood at Caesarea Philippi where, where Jesus said the words to Peter, uh, Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and it was just such a, an amazing experience to stand there, and what, one of the things that God said to me as I, as I experienced Israel is that, is that our faith in Christ, it's not just some story that we read about. It, it, it was our faith in Jesus, our, our, our faith in God is, is, is built in history. It, it, it happened in real time with real people, in a, in a real place. And it was amazing being on the Sea of Galilee and thinking, oh my goodness, Jesus was here with his disciples. And, and we stood on the mount of, of where, where Jesus preached the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, where we talked about uh, that, that incredible sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And then I'll tell you, it may help my faith come alive. That this is not just stories on a page, but it happened. And you know, last week we started this, this series in Genesis. And and, 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 you know, 40% of the scripture is a narrative, meaning it's a story. And, and God is faithful to communicate through story because as we know the stories of our faith, it strengthens us. And, and when I think about how God uses his word in our lives, God's word makes us strong. God's word changes our mind. God's word gives us hope. And, and God's word strengthens our lives, gives us direction, helps us know what to do. And, 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 you know, this is how God's Word 
is at work in our lives. And, and, and as, I, as I experienced Israel this week, I, I remember, you know, we, we took the Lord's Supper in, in the garden tomb area. And, and we were standing there going, oh my goodness, this is the place where, where we saw the death of death right here. Death died on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And we have hope in life and hope in death. And, and it, Jesus conquered the grave. And, and see, these are not just stories that are on a page. These really happened. And this is why the book of Genesis is important. This series through the book of Genesis is very important because we need to know, we need to know these stories. And we need to pass these stories on. And, and you know, my conviction and my prayer this summer for us is that, is that we go back and we read these stories and we, and we encounter these stories because sometimes we have the mentality of, oh, well, I know that. I know what the Bible says. But, but we lose the details. We, 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 we watch VeggieTales. I know that's not as popular anymore. It was when my kids were growing up. And we have a VeggieTales vision of, of the Bible. When, you know, God's story is amazing just in and of itself. And we need to know and interact with the Word of God. And it's my prayer that this, this summer that we come back to the book of Genesis and we go talk about it. We have in your, in your, um, in your seats today some, some cards for you to go home and, and talk about these stories. And it's my prayer that we can pass these stories on to our kids. Now, now I'll be honest with you, there, there's, there's some rough stories we're going to be encountering over through the course of Genesis. Some that are really not G-rated. And so I, I want to prepare you for that. And, and I want us to understand that we're going to be tackling some tough issues because the Bible confronts issues that we need to face. Now this morning we're in Genesis chapter 3. And it's one of the most important narratives in Scripture. And it's one that I pray that we can expose today the, the, the tactic of our enemy. That we have an enemy, we have an adversary. And he, is, he knows how to combat us. And, and see, the reality is Satan's strategy has been the same all through history. And, and, but, but unfortunately, it's tripped us up. And we have a tendency to, to fall into the trap that Satan throws out at us. So Genesis chapter 3, would you stand with me and let's read. We're going to read together verses 1 through 13. But it's my prayer that we really can dive into some of the details of this story. Genesis chapter 3, this is the account of the fall of Adam and Eve. Verse 1 says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took, its fruit and, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. 
And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, um, I want you to keep your Bibles open here, and I want us to get get into some of the details because the story continues. And what an amazing, um, an amazing moment in the history of mankind. And, and this is our history. This is, this is uh, a day I pray, I've prayed today that, that, that Satan's strategy could be exposed. That, that we would recognize that this historic strategy that Satan has implemented over and over again is one that we can overcome. You know, we have power over Satan's temptation. We have power over the enemy. And that's the reality. And, and I want you to look, look back at, at verse 2. Um, Satan, uh, look, look what Satan said to the woman. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? I want you to notice the deceptiveness of Satan, of Satan here. He said, you know, you know his, it, it's kind of subtle, isn't it? It's a subtle deceptiveness. It, it's an engaging moment because, I mean, look at Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. They could eat from any tree they wanted in the garden, right? They had every tree at their disposal. In chapter 2, God said to them, I don't want you to eat from this one tree of the, the tree that's of the knowledge of good and evil. God had pointed that, that specific tree out. Satan comes with this subtle deception saying, hey, you know what? You can't eat from any of the trees in the garden. And I think it's interesting that, and if you look at the original language, the original Hebrew, when Satan says the name of God, he doesn't use the word Yahweh. He doesn't use his personal name. His, and, and see, this is what's amazing about Adam and Eve. At this point in their lives, they have this kind of relationship with God that is physical, that they could say, hey, God, what's going on? And God would physically respond. Do you know we can't do that today? Do you know that if God showed up physically in this room that all of us would die because of his glory? Um, we, he, he is so glorious that our bodies could not, could not handle it. But Adam and Eve didn't have that, the problem that we have. The sin had not entered the world at this point. And they had this relationship with God that was personal and up close. In verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, Look, we, we can eat of the tree of the fruit trees in the garden, but God said to not eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. I want you to see what Eve does there. She knew the name of the tree, but she doesn't use it here. You know, it's like this curiosity of sin, this curiosity of the forbidden that we always struggle with. And, and then look at verse 4. But the serpent says to the woman, uh, she, uh, uh, look, when you eat of this tree, you're not going to die. He, he, says, he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
Now, what's ironic here about this moment, we, we looked at, and, and, and I know Genesis 1 and 2, uh, we covered that last week, but, but they were already made in the image of God, weren't they? And what does Satan say to him? Look, if you eat from this tree, you'll be like God. Well, God had already told them, I have made you in my image. And I think it's interesting that Satan, um, uh, he tempts them with this forbidden the for, forbidden tree, this forbidden fruit, this, and, and, and it's interesting how Adam and Eve, they, they took the bait here. And, and I think it's interesting also to notice as, as we look at this text, you see that, that, that Satan gives these half-truths, doesn't he? He always does this to us. He gives half-truths to us. He goes, look, if you eat from this tree, you're going to know good and evil. God had told them already, look, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You don't need that tree. But they were, like, curious about it. Satan promises a lot, but look, he delivers very, he, he, he delivers little. And this is true all through our lives. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, look at this, it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. What does she do? She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Now, what's interesting is, is and, and, and I was cracking up on the trip because um, Brad, Brad Ayler was with us. And, 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 and you know, it's, it, he, he kept saying, hey, tomorrow we're going to go see the entrance to the Garden of Eden. It's going to be awesome. And, uh, and, you know, you can't see that because there's an angel guarding it with flames of fire. And I would challenge you, if you ever see that, don't walk in because you're going to die. So don't do that. But... But I think it's interesting that Adam and Eve are standing in this garden. And, and I can only imagine the beauty of this garden. Can you just imagine for a minute the beauty of the garden that God created and all the trees that God provided? And it was vast. It was incredible. And yet it's interesting that the, that the serpent made her discontent with all that God provided. And, and caused her to look at this one tree and ignore everything else that God provided. And see, isn't that how Satan does for us? Isn't that how he attacks us? He causes us to look at, at, at something that's not God's plan and say, ooh, look, this is enticing, but Satan is full of half-truths. He's, he's a liar. He's deceptive. And see, look what Adam does. He follows right along. With her. In verse 7, after they ate, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And what's interesting as, as, I think it's really interesting that Adam had named all the animals. And Adam, it was Adam's job to be in charge of the animals. He was, he was their ruler. He was there in charge of them. And as, as the serpent comes up to him, Adam did not command. He didn't take charge of the serpent. He just let the serpent lead him. Then his wife, he, he follows her. Adam, you see him ignoring his responsibility as a leader. And, and it's interesting, as, as God comes up and he's going through the garden, what do Adam and Eve do? They run and hide. 
Now, haven't you done that? I've done that. There have been times that I've been in rebellion, and guess where the last place I want to come to is church, right? It, the last place I want, last thing I want to do is get on my knees and pray, right? And this is what Adam and Eve have done. They, they've rebelled. They've gone against God. And, and God says to them, hey, where are you? They finally come out. And, 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 and verse 10 says, uh, Adam's, God's saying, Adam, where are you? He says, well, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I naked and I, and I hid myself. And then God asked the question. God knows us. God sees everything. It wasn't like this was a surprise to God. But he says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree. Notice the blame game here. He's saying, I didn't do it. It's her fault. Oh, wait, wait, God. It's not, you know, and isn't that how so often it happens for us when we rebel against God? We tend to, well, it's someone else's fault. It's not my fault. It's the way I was raised. It was my, my dad was mean to me or my mom was, was not a good mom or, or we, we tend to blame other, all these other things. And this is just the human nature. I think it was Will Rogers who said, um, as he described the history of North America, he said you could describe it as the passing of the Indian, the passing of the buffalo, and the passing of the buck, right? Um, Because we want to blame other people for for our own mistakes. And then you see verse 14 and 15, I think it's really interesting. He says, you see this prophecy that God proclaims. And, and what's interesting is, 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 and one of the reasons I love Jesus and I follow Jesus is because the Old Testament is fulfilling all these prophecies of the Messiah who came. And, and you know, right here, Genesis 1, or excuse me, 3, 14 and 15, where God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and you, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heal. He, he makes the claim at the beginning, Satan's head will be crushed. And when did Jesus do that? He did that on the cross. And right there in Genesis 3, Jesus proclaims this prophecy against the serpent. And it's not just a, he's not a snake he's talking to. He's talking to Satan himself. And he says to Satan in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, I'm going to crush your head. And yeah, you're going to bruise the heel of mankind. But let me tell you something, your head will be crushed. And on the cross, when Jesus died and his blood was shed and he rose from the dead, that was the moment that Satan's head was crushed. And that's why we can have trust and hope and in the midst of death and dying and in the midst of a world that is broken, we can trust Jesus because he crushed him on the cross. But then you see the curse of the woman right here in verses 16, he says to the woman, and you notice, I want you to notice that Eve hasn't been named yet. He keeps calling her the woman. He hasn't named her yet. And he says um, to the woman, he said, I will multiply your, ch- your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. This right here is such a big moment because you see the historic struggle between husbands and wives. And, and our struggle with roles. And, and, and this is multiplying in our culture. I mean, I mean as you see... Um, we read an article in Israel about a situation in the United States about two transgender boys that won a girls' track meet. And, and you see this struggle with gender and role and identity, and guess where it started? It started right here in the fall. 
And it says right there, this is a curse that we're going to deal with. We will constantly struggle with, with our roles. And then he says to the curse of Adam, to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, verse 17, which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat, eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And, and you know, I've heard some people misunderstand this passage and say, well, this is the reason that man has to work. But, but we got to realize in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see that Adam was working because we should work and we're called to work and Adam was working the land. But because of sin right here, because of his rebellion, thorns and thistles were going to come and the, the work of his hand will be much harder. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of you are taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. And so there are tough consequences here. And what's amazing is, is, is we live in a world that will say, oh, well, God is loving and God is forgiving. But let me tell you something. Sin always has consequences. And we can't forget that. That rebellion will always come with consequences. And sin has a price tag higher than you want to pay. It will keep you longer than you want to stay every time. Sin is destructive, and we see it unfolding here in, in, in the consequences. Verse 20, then the man called his wife's name Eve because she was mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam, for his, gar his wife, garments of skin and clothed them. And in the midst of their failure, do you know what else you, what you see? You see the grace of God. You see God providing for, his, for, for Adam and Eve right here. And, and then the Lord expelled them from the garden. And right there, verse 24, he drove out the man, and at the east of the, of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, if you have your notes, we're going to fly through these. But, but, but we've got to expose this plan of Satan. And you see it unfolding right here. Now, the first thing I want to say to you, point number one is this. Do you know that God's plan is the best plan for your life? Do you know that? That God has the best plan for your life. And it may be, go, okay, thanks, Chris. That's really insightful. Wow, good job. I'm glad I came to church today. But, but you know what? This is something we need to be reminded of. I can't tell you how many times I have people that I'm sitting with that I love that will look at me and say, you know what, I know this is what God says, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do what God says. And it's my prayer that, and, and, I, and I get it. I get it. I get the struggle, and I get the, uh, the, the, the difficulty, the temptations that are out there to, to really think that, that my way is better than God's way. My plan is better than God's plan. And, and I want us to realize, God, you have the best plan for life. I mean, think about Adam and Eve. I mean, Satan is talking to them, and, and, and all they had to do is go, hey, God, is he right? But they didn't go to God. They didn't go ask him. They didn't go compare and say, Lord, what do you think about what the serpent said? I mean, think of how, how, how God would have changed things. I mean, I mean think about uh, the, the vastness of God's provision in the garden. Oh my goodness, I, I just can only imagine the, the, the provision of God. 
And see, we forget often that God's plan is the best plan, and, and God's plan for your life is vast and overly satisfying. Do you know that? I mean, God's plan is for you is to satisfy you, to fulfill you, to, like, like to give you a hope and a future. And this is why I pray that we are a people that understand his word and understand the tactics of the enemy. But I get it. So often we listen to other voices besides the Lord's. And it's my prayer that we, we don't follow this example. I mean, why does God put these Old Testament stories in, in his word for us? Because it's a warning for us. It's, a, it's, a, it's an example for us. God's plan is for your life is vast. It's overly satisfying. Think about this, Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount. I stood there when, where Jesus preached this. He says in verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I mean, can't you, don't, don't, we need to see that, that when, when we are facing this battle to, to disobey God, and, and I'll tell you, most of the time we know we're disobeying. We do it intentionally. Why don't we go to God and say, God, I want to ask you, for wisdom and help because he knows how to give good gifts to you and to me. You know, but here's the reality. Satan's plan will devastate and underdeliver. He does this all the time. Can I tell you, Satan will always underdeliver for you. He will devastate you. And this is why we can't keep listening to him. And this is why it was, would have been wise for Adam and Eve to say, you know what, I'm not going to take the bait for, the, for, for the, the serpent has given us. I'm not going to follow his voice. God, I'm going to listen to your voice. And it's my prayer that that's who we are. We're a people that say, God, we will listen to you. We will know what your word says, and we will, we will put your words into practice like Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount. If you put my words into practice, you're like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains come, the winds blow, and it beats against that house, but it does not fall. But if you hear these words of mine and you do not put them into practice, you're like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rains come, the winds blow, and it beats against that house, and it falls with a great crash. And so it's my prayer that we embrace this first point today, that God, your plan's the best plan. Satan will underdeliver and will devastate every time. God, your provision is vast and it's fulfilling. And this is true all the time. The thief comes, John 10, 10. The thief comes with the steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And I pray that we are a people that say, God, we're going to look to you and turn to you. Now, point number two, you see Satan's strategy is obvious here. You know, let's go back to Jesus' brother. Turn with me to, to, to James chapter 1 real quick. In and, and James chapter 1, James is Jesus' brother, and, and James is, uh, is, is revealing temptation and the struggle with temptation. He says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, for he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Now, I want you to write some things down because we're going to have to do this fast. But, but, but I want you to understand, temptation begins with an enticing thought, doesn't it? That's what, that's what Satan did to Eve. In Adam, it was this enticing thought, this, hey, look, let me tell you something that is better than what God's plan is. And, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. It's this idea of a fisherman that puts bait on a lure and Satan throws bait at us and we've got to not take the bait. This is my prayer for this. Temptation begins with an enticing thought. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed. Look at this. By his own desire, temptation continues with a natural desire. It's this idea of, of lust. It's this idea of anything that, that, that God doesn't approve God doesn't approve of. And it's this natural desire that you and I have to, to, to go our own way. And, and most of the time when we think of lust, we think of sexual lust. And, and, and you know, when, when sex gets outside of God's boundary, sex is a good thing, but when, when we put it outside of God's umbrella of protection called marriage, it's dangerous and it's devastating. And this is the reality of sex. Pride's also a lust. I'm, I mean, we're, we're to have a healthy pride in what we do in our work. But when that gets out of control, when, when we start uh, letting our pride go above where God approves, it, it becomes sin. Money and possessions are the same way. We, you know, anger, work, sports, all these things, when they get outside of God's control, and then, then it becomes sin. And this is what... This is just Satan's strategy. Look at verse 15 in, in James chapter 1. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. When we embrace, it's not a sin to be tempted, but when we embrace temptation, it becomes sin. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They embraced the temptation. They took the bait. And see, temptation embraced results in sin. Then, verse 15, when desire when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. What does sin produce? Sin produces strongholds and hurtful habits in our lives. And when we get involved in sin and take the bait, what happens is it grips us. And sin gets a hold of us. And it, and it devastates us. And then, and then, verse 15, when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Sin always ends in the death of someone or something. It always does. And this is why I pray that we are one, we are a group of people that say, God, we're going to look to your plan. We're going to follow your plan. <clears throat> you know what I, I couldn't help but think about today? That right now, someone in this room is in that enticing thought stage of a sin in their life. Others may be in that position of lustful desire. That desire is, is building in your life some may be here and you, you've committed that act and you never thought you would do it, but you've done it. And some are in that devastating spot that you're at home with your sin. You're, you're, it's, it's, it, you're at home with it and it has gripped you 
And it's wrapped its chains around you, and it's a stronghold in your life. And see, this is Satan's strategy. Now, how do we overcome it? Point number three is this. Do you know, and I want us to see this, that sin is always an inside job. You know, we want to blame, oh, well, Satan's making me do it, or, or this, my, my wife is frustrating me, that's why I'm doing this, or, or you know, I, 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 need, I need this extra money, so I'm going to steal this from my work. No, no, see, we want to blame something else. But sin is always an inside job. And so it's my prayer where Adam and Eve struggled is to accept personal responsibility with repentance. And this is the first step. If you're going to do something about this, let's accept responsibility with repentance. What, what, is, what does 1 John 1.9 say? If you confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just and will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do you, don't you know that when we confess and we own it and we say, God, look, I, I confess this to you. Do you know he cleanses you? And this is why this temptation to run away from God is one we have to reject, but we need to run to him when we make mistakes. When we mess up, we run to him, not away from him. And and see, we've got to accept personal responsibility with repentance. The second thing, and this is what I pray we see, and it frustrates me in my own life when I I don't do this, but but we've got to open our eyes to the consequences of sin. Folks, there are consequences to sin. And for us to recognize God is gracious, yes. And God is faithful to us, yes. And God is forgiving, yes. And, but yet, we still have to face the consequences of sin. Adam and Eve, they, they experienced God's presence and provision and grace. But they were still expelled from the garden. They still um, had to deal with the thorns and the difficulties and the pain and childbearing. That's a reality. That's a consequence of sin. And for us to recognize that because God loves us, he disciplines us and, and, and allows us to experience the consequence of sin. And this is true for us. And we've got to open our eyes to sin's consequences. And, and you know, it's... Galatians 6, 7, and 8, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will you also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so we've got to open our eyes to the consequences of sin. But then we refocus on Christ. And this is what I pray happens today. That we refocus on Christ. And we say, look, Lord, i got to come to you. i got to turn to you. i got to refocus my life on you. We've learned this as we studied the book of Philippians. When, when we looked at Philippians 4.8, when we studied that, well, finally, brothers, whatever is tr- true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And, and we're to turn our face to Christ. And this is my prayer for us. If you are caught in any of these stages of of sin, and you're saying, God, I want to go my own way. I don't want to go your way. Can I challenge you to refocus on Christ? Because his love compels us. His love moves us. And then what do you have to do? Once you refocus on Christ, you got to cut off the opportunity for sin to grow. you got to cut it off. I'm telling you what, we're, we're we're not radical enough with sin. We flirt with sin too much. 
And, it's, and I'll tell you, when there's some that may need to change your carpool. You know, if you're, if you're at a work, at a job where, where you're thinking about having an affair with a coworker, you may ought to quit your job. Because let me tell you something, your, your family and your walk with the Lord is more important than the job you have. I'm telling you, we, we've got to hate sin. And my, my, my struggle is that we don't hate it enough. And we've got to cut off the opportunity to grow. Maybe you need to get, um, um, get rid of your computer. Get rid of your smartphone. Uh, what, let's, let's, let's deal with sin. Sin is a big deal. So think about this. Sin is why Jesus went to the cross. I mean, that's the reason he went, because you and I are sinners. You know, the, the, the reason he went to the cross, because he was destroying the power of sin in our lives. It's my prayer that we cut off the opportunity for sin to grow. I love what Romans 13, 14 says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. When, when it says make no provision for the flesh, that means that, that if you don't want to get stung, don't go play with the bees, Right? You stay away from it. And this is my prayer. And lastly, it's something you've heard me say over and over again. That we move when God tells us to move. And see, this is, this is the, the scripture warns us. And it might be like, well, man, Chris, you've come. Uh, I've come to church today on Father's Day, and, and, and man, I, you're, you're telling me to stop sinning. That's not very encouraging. Let me tell you something, that's the most encouraging thing that I can tell you. Because can I, can I tell you this? When Jesus is in your life, you have power over the enemy. You have power, and you have peace, and you have hope. And, and, and I'll tell you, this is, a, 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 yes, a warning today for all of us. You know, I'm sitting with you. I'm not talking at you. Because let me tell you something, Satan hates me. He wants to discourage me. He comes after me. He wants to trip me up. And I'll tell you what, if I, if I think, oh, you know what, I'm a pastor. I'm, not, I'm, I'm too strong to fail. Let me tell you something, that would be the worst. That would be the most dangerous thing that could ever come out of my mouth if I really thought that. Because let me tell you something, I've seen very godly men recently fall. And let me tell you something, we need Christ in our lives. We need each other in our lives. This is why I love having a church, because, you know, we're, we're to be in each other's lives. We're to get in each other's way. And so let me tell you something, if somebody has made you mad recently by getting in your way, saying, hey, don't do that, you ought to get on your knees and say, God, thank you for a friend that would do that for me. This is why we got to know one another. We got to be in life together. We got to be in groups together. Because we got to bear one another's burdens. We got to help one another. When I, when, I, when I know Barry over here, and I hear him say, you know what, my, this cancer's kicking my rear, I can get on my knees and pray 
for God to strengthen him like I did in Israel this week. And I'll tell you what, we need one another. And we got to help one another. And the Holy Spirit has come in us. And if you don't know Jesus, oh, you need him more than you need the next breath you take. And so can we hear the warning today? Can we recognize the fall was devastating and Satan's strategy is exposed? So let's stop taking the bait and let's believe God more than we believe ourselves, more than we believe all the other voices coming at us in media. Let's follow the Lord. Let's put his words into practice.